There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Jahan Hamsazadeh completed his dissertation on psychedelics in the philosophy, cosmology and consciousness program at the California Institute of Integral Studies. His book, The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet, an Integral Approach, was published last year. Jahan works with psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and as a psychedelic guide using legal psilocybin mushrooms in ceremonies in Jamaica. Psychedelics are becoming popular and more widely accepted around the world and can provide life-changing outcomes for those who embrace them in therapy-based applications. I hope you let your curiosity wander in this insightful conversation with Jahan. Welcome, Jahan, to The Ethical Evolution. Perfect. Thank you, Indy. It's a, it's a pleasure and honor to be here. Now, uh, for those who haven't heard of you, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, name's Jahan Khamsazadeh. I got my doctorate at the California Institute of Integral Studies. Uh, my focus of the dissertation was on psychedelics, specifically psilocybin and evolution. It came out as a book in 2022 titled uh, The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution on the Planet, an Integral Approach. Something really nice that's just resonant of this week, this last Sunday, the, the New York Times recommended my book. So it was really nice to see that getting out there to that degree. Uh, I've been holding uh, space for psychedelic ceremonies for many years now. I've been either helped of or been part of uh, six different psychedelic guide or sitter trainings. Um, and I do this work legally in uh, Jamaica with Atman Retreats. So it's pretty much encompass my full life now it's been interest for 20 years but it's been more full-time professional for about the last five amazing and uh, there's yeah. there's so much to unpack when we talk about psychedelics and in particular psilocybin um so let's just start with you know psychedelics in general i mean they, they've got a bit of a reputation um <laughs> you know way back from the 70s um but uh, nowadays, it's much more sophisticated and there's a lot more science and medicine behind it. Um, I mean, this this is a, a whole new age of medicine that can really help people, can't it? Yeah, it's a whole new age of medicine that can treat such a variety of illnesses, but then also help people that are just already healthy. So we know it's already proven through just constant scientific you know, um, experiments that it helps with OCD, uh, PTSD. Uh, addiction, um, treatment-resistant depression, uh, anxiety is also in year of end-of-life anxiety. And we also know it catalyzes um, mystical experience in 65% of participants in the right set and setting. You know, so it definitely helps uh, heal the parts of our psyches that feel fragmented. 
But it also helps us, I would say, even evolve forward in many ways to become more ethical, more courageous, uh, stimulates neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons of the brain physically begins to grow. I think it just makes us better humans mm. all around. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, in the in the media, particularly in movies and things like that, we see it um, quite a bit around ayahuasca. Have you done much work with that? Yeah, yeah, I've done this part only about 10 ceremonies, but eight of those were just this last year with the Santo Daime Church. It's a beautiful compound. Um, I mean, it uses DMT, but it's it's mixed with, uh, I believe, harmaline to make it last a lot longer. And DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca and psilocybin are very similar to both tryptamines. And so um, psilocybin is DMT with a few more atoms added onto it. So even though there's differences within all the tryptamines, this group of uh, compounds that includes others like LSD, there's more similarity than differences. They kind of lead to the same insights, but it's different flavors of getting to these kind of same insights and kind of um, growth-oriented experiences. Mm, and there's that that level of consciousness that you can reach um, with, with dosages of of things like ayahuasca that we normally wouldn't get. Like what kind of, yeah. you know, insights do people get uh, in those moments? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel there's certain universal insights that are cross-cultural as a part of, you could say, our soul or collective, you know, consciousness. And it's the same insights people reach, you could say, through meditation. You know, there's uh, Aldous Huxley put forward the perennial philosophy, you know, kind of really breaking down that across all mystical traditions, if people really stay with the kind of practice, meditation, uh, tantra, breath work, that we kind of realize either that we're all one, that we're loved, they're interconnected, that we're eternal to some degree. The difference between those practices, which are amazing in psychedelics, is this really gets there faster. I mean, there's a, there's a chance that you can get there within six hours as opposed to hundreds or thousands of hours of training. You mm. know? And, but once you have the taste that these things are real and these insights are real, a lot of people actually begin to devote themselves to spiritual practices. So they're amazing catalysts. This being said, you know, your question about these actual experiences, I think there's certain experiences that we can't have without them hmm. because our brain literally has a new compound in it that it doesn't otherwise. And so if I look at something like ketamine, which is an other amazing psychedelic, there's states that, it, that gets to you. There's flavors of consciousness that we cannot reach otherwise. Mm. You know, so so I, as we introduce all these new compounds and there's hundreds of psychedelics and most of them very safe, there's no biotoxicity, I think it really entrance uh, allows us to step into like a whole new kind of portal or doorway to explain more of our depths of humanity. Mm, that's incredible, and I, I love I love what you said there the the flavors of consciousness. Like, yeah. and, you know, uh, do you find that the different psychedelics um, have mm -hmm. different outcomes for people? Like, uh, as in their mm -hmm. experience? Like, is it vastly mm -hmm. different, even though it's the same kind of chemical compound? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it is, it's fairly infinite in terms of the types of experiences you can have. I think the deepest experience you can have across the board is that of unity. You know, mm. it's hard to even conceptually think of a larger experience because we're saying you're feeling one with the entire cosmos of the universe, right? And so that, that's a very large statement uh, to make it, again, I, I, it's hard to even think of something that's even would peak this. That being said, there's uh, infinite ways to experience unity. The universe is that big. You know, it's like there's like infinite ways to experience a human life, but they're the same flavor of experience, a state of oneness. So you can have oneness with yourself, one with the environment, one with a partner, one with with the planet, one with the cosmos or one just with a deity like God, mm. you know. So so there's many ways. Um, yeah. 
and and there's so so each time you go in you learn a new nuance a subtle differences but it's the same kind of structure of the universe that you're coming in contact with mm. yeah that makes sense um and i guess you know what's your thoughts for people who you know no doubt there's some people in the community who are against psychedelics um mm. and you know what's your thoughts when they come to you and say look you know People get addicted on this stuff. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, no, I, I love that question. And I think a lot of us kind of assume that there's people against it. And something that was really interesting is uh, Michael Pollan, he wrote this 2018 uh, bestseller called How to Change Your Mind. And he'd already had five bestsellers on, on, uh, on food and plants before. So he had quite a wide audience. And when he came out with this research on psychedelics, he thought that he was going to get this large level of oppositions, including from psychiatrists, legal oppositions, from therapists, all these things. And he's surprised he got none. Mm. And what he came to find is that everybody's actually on board. Like we have now decades of science that is so rooted and the outcomes are uncomparable to any other method. You know, it's, it's a big statement to make, but they are. So 80% successful for treatment resistant depression. These are people that have been depressed sometimes for 10 to 20 years and have already tried all the other methods, all the medications, mm. all the therapies, nothing works, are still suicidal and depressed. And 80% of those people heal. We don't have numbers like this. And with the growing anxiety and depression rates and suicide rates, like we know there's a mental health crisis that's looming around the world. Mm. Um, and so nobody's actually against it. You know, here in the U.S., both political sides are for it. The only difference is people want it to be done safely. Mm. That's that's the thing that we can all kind of agree on. So it's a very tedious process to create the protocols, the clinics, the laws, the frameworks that, to, for them to be safe. The, that being said, I, yes, I'm sure there exist outliers that are against it, but so much of it just comes down to either misinformation or lack of education. Mm. You know, it really just like if they see just one documentary saying all the science and how many lives it shifts. You know, it, it's it, I, I've seen them with my parents. You know, like people begin to switch over. You know, and what the. the what I'm curious about is, you know, maybe religious fundamentalists later, but it, there hasn't been any opposition. There hasn't been any actual opposition to this movement so far, which mm. is amazing to know. And, you know, it's becoming a, a more mainstream, acceptable kind of practice. Um, I recently watched a documentary um, that Oprah and uh, Prince Harry put out um, on mental health, and they talked about um, different, you know, uh, case studies of, of mental health issues. And there was someone, uh, you know, some people that they put through a study where they tried every other treatment, they were, you know, um, they were at risk of taking their life um, and they actually put them on um, microdoses or psilocybin and that was when they actually start to, you know, see results. Um, and it actually changed their whole treatment plan and their whole outlook on life and, like, this stuff's life-changing. No, completely. You know, I'm honoured to have a life where I've seen it hundreds of times, like change people, hundreds of people's lives, you know, in front of me. So it is some of the most beautiful things to see patterns that have been there for decades or sometimes intergenerational, like patterns that had been there that they kind of born into a family system sometimes go away in a day. I'd say the hardest part of my work is sometimes working with expectations because sometimes the science looks so amazing mm. and you hear like kind of the sense of a gospel for people, like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. And it's life changing and transformative. But the truth is, like, there's no medication in the world that works 100% of the time for 100% of the people. Yeah, true. Right? And so the hardest part is people come in of, like, oh, no, like, I'm at the end of my line. I want to kill myself. This better work. You know, I've seen this a lot. And it doesn't. 
for whatever reason. Maybe they need more treatments. We don't know. So that's the hardest part is all the projections that come because it can be so amazing, but it doesn't guarantee that it will be for everybody. I love that you mentioned uh, Prince Henry. You know, I've been seeing some stuff on him this last week and the 60 Minutes episode that came out here in the U.S. this last week, you know, he had come out and said that psychedelic therapy had played a huge part in his healing process around the death of his mother and then mm. just healing from the kind of lifestyle that he had being royalty. So it's beautiful to see somebody, such a prominent figure right now, um, really coming out and really sharing his personal experience of how psychedelics have been very transformative and healing for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if I could add to that, it would be that I've, I'm just glad to see someone with so much cloud actually speaking about mental health. You know, um, huge. I know. I'm glad yeah. he's played a big role. He's he's been talking a lot about therapy. It's really been amazing to see. Mm. Yeah, and uh, so if someone's listening at the moment, uh, Jahan, and you know they are having a tough time with anxiety and suicide ideation, um, and they don't know what to do next, and they don't know where to go, um, what do you reckon they should do? Two parts come up for me. One is kind of more sharing some insights I've learned about anxiety and depression so they can kind of begin to work on it right now in the present moment. And as far as psychedelic treatment, the uh, really sad part is it's not completely accessible, largely because of the loss. Mm. And so even if somebody wanted to do this next month, you know, something that we did, we, we set up this retreat center in Jamaica, you know, Ottman Retreats, I'll be going out there in March. So it creates a safe legal place for people around the world to come and experience psilocybin. For a long time, Jamaica was the only place in the world where it was 100% legal. Uh, somewhere like, you know, the Netherlands is like a gray zone. So they have some retreat centers there. Um, Oregon here in the States just went legal this last January 1st. So, so just very, very recently, and they're setting up their infrastructure. Um we created, me and a group called Silo Health, created a free online four-hour training to help people learn to sit for each other to try to make it more accessible. So that's Silo Health, P-S-I-L-O health.co. And you go to the videos and there's a free training that we put. So the hard part is if you find a guide or a therapist, it'll cost a lot. Mm. And some people can't afford that, you know. And even if you have the money, they're hard to find. Yeah, you know, Then the other option is retreat centers, then there's this, the problem of sourcing the actual medicine itself. My friend Seth Warner uh, created an uh, online training to help people learn how to grow mushrooms themselves. So that's mycorisingfungi.com is, is his site. It's for 100 bucks. He teaches you how to grow it. So that's one way. And then you need something either I would recommend a safe person to do it with that has some level of training. So that, there's a four-hour training or somebody that's at least ventured with this before. So that that's the, the, the over the next few years, it's going to become a lot more um, accessible. It, there looks like FDA approval across the United States is going to happen this year. It'll still be hard to get to it because you have to be diagnosed with something, and it's probably going to cost a lot. Wow. You know, maybe like ten thousand um, dollars. But we're slowly in this way of really beginning to integrate this into culture. So five years from now, it's going to be a lot easier than it's ever been before. Mm, and I guess, you know, if we would have reflect on, you know, the progress of things like, you know, marijuana and how far that has come in recent years, you know, like mm. I was recently in LA and you can, you can pretty much buy that on a street corner now, you know, um, and CBD oil and things like that is, is readily available um, uh, almost here now in Australia. So it's like, you know, it is opening up. We are starting to see the benefits of these things that they aren't just you know, a particular class of drug, they actually can help us heal. Mm -hmm. Tremendously. I think once there's a, a critical mass of approval, things shift very quickly. 
in my sense, it's already happened with psychedelics. The difference is it, it just takes a little bit to transfer into law. And once things transfer into law, it's almost you're getting the conventional established kind of consciousness of the society getting its stamp of approval. Mm. And with that happens, things shift really quickly. You know, there's a maybe 50% of humanity uh, laws tied with like a kind of a moral dilemma, mm. like an ethical dilemma. If something's illegal, it's bad. And so there's a lot of people that won't do things just because it's illegal, the government or they think the medical society said so. And then other people are just scared to do something that's illegal. You know, and so th- we saw this with marijuana. As soon as it became legalized, you had a huge population that shamed it and judged it their entire life suddenly go out and start doing it. Your grandparents, parents, yep. people that just never would are now buying like dummies and smoking yep. at home. And everything is safe. They thought society would go crazy. Maybe society relaxed a little bit, but like <laughs> nobody w- nobody went off the rails. They chilled out a bit more, didn't they? <laughs> now, um, if someone uh, was to come and do one of your retreats, um, what kind of experience could they expect? So I'm Jamaica. We do, you know, intake and screen calls. It, as the infrastructure begins to grow, you know, there will be retreat centers and clinics that can high, do more like high-level uh, cases for with more extreme PTSD. But we need, because right now, everything's still in the early stages, people that are somewhat stable, but 70, 80% of people that come are suffering from depression. You mm-hmm. know, some people are terminal ill cancer. Some people had had their children died and they're dealing with deep grief. So people have, they come because they're initiated by normally a deep level of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, after a screen call and looking through the application form to feel like it's a good fit for everybody, they land in Jamaica and we do a day of kind of prep work and kind of really setting the space uh, for them to feel safe. Safety is like the the fundamental kind of ground of all this kind of work. And so that also includes connecting with the rest of the group. They'll be in a cohort of about 12 people mm-hmm. and there'll be three facilitators an organizer and assistants. So there's five people on their team. There's 12 people. So there, there, there's a lot of time for really one-on-one interactions to help people really kind of settle in the space. After them doing some group work and relational exercises, getting to know each other, they're pretty tired. They just flew in from a different country. You know, they go to sleep and in the morning we wake up. I have one-on-one check-ins with everybody. We begin the group ceremony with psilocybin you know, about three to four grams a person-ish, and then another booster, uh, one to two grams. So they, they get, we want them to get them to a deep level where they're still feeling really safe and held in this experience. It'll go to, you know, maybe seven hours of the actual ceremony. People tend to be very exhausted afterwards. So we have a small closing circle, dinner, rest, and then the entire next day is integration. So again, a kind of group kind of therapy environment and checking one-on-one to do therapy. And we're doing this like, on a resort on the beach, like a private small resort. So they have a lot of space to go on and go to the ocean. They could journal, they could draw. We'll have some kind of art class up with integration. We'll dinner and then a bonfire. And then the next day, uh, before they leave, we have a larger integration circle that's not encapsulating the, just the journey, but the entire four days, you know? So, so much of the healing process of these group ceremonies is actually the relationships. You know, Mm -hmm. people come for the psilocybin, but so much of our healing has to do with having this sense of belonging and community. That's where a lot of the trauma happened. It was through relationships. Mm. And so they tend to have this deeply healing, vulnerable experience with these 12 people. You know, years down the line, we see a lot of them just become close friends. You know, so they walk away of like, wow, I just felt a part of something really special aside mm. from having this really kind of one day transformative experience. And then we have a follow up call too to help them with the integration process once they get back. 
That sounds incredible. God, sign me up. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <totally>. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, you. that's that's a theme I see a lot when I speak to a lot of therapists and doctors is that, you know, community is a big part of healing, particularly, you know, when we're talking about things like mental health and addiction and things like that is, mm. you know, knowing you're not alone and, and also having mm. that safe space to be vulnerable and, you know, mm. f- having someone else hold you in that space, I think, it's mm. so important to to actually because mm. if you were doing that all on your own, wouldn't work. I don't think it would work. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. so yeah. that is beautiful. No, no, it is. I mean, community is a deep part. I think of our, our future evolution, but I really kind of ground why it's so important in our past evolution. So much of my dissertation was on this idea that we evolved and became human because of relationship with psilocybin mushrooms. You know, a relationship that started, you could say, about five billion years ago and ended to that level of extreme kind of relationship during the agricultural revolution where we get to grow our own food and kind of disconnect from the, you know, wild food in nature. For example, mushrooms grow through spores. We couldn't plant them. They're not seeds. So it took a while for us. Mm. It's only during the 1970s that we learned how to grow psilocybin mushrooms. So so they're kind of reentering into our consciousness. But if we look at primate evolution, we were primates for about 50 million years. You're, you're just in these groups and packs, and they spend about 40% of the day grooming each other and touching and being in connection, right? And then for about three to four million years, as we were more, you could say, a hunter-gatherer-ish kind of society, we lived in groups of 75 to 150 people. So you're constantly in this pod your entire life. You don't have individual rooms. Most of the time, you're walking around naked with each other. And so that's how our psyche evolved. That's how our emotional heart evolved to be part of this deep, connected group in tribal culture. And it's very evolutionary recently that we've gone to such extreme individuality and really had our own. And it's not that it's bad. There's there's gifts that come with individuality. But now every person has their own rooms. And we're, you know, studies, at least here in the U.S., show that we're feeling more isolated than ever. Mm. And isolated leads to anxiety and depression mm. and a sense of lower self-esteem and disconnection and a deep sense of unhappiness. You know, what I've learned from these psychedelics is the main reason we exist is, is love. But we have 8 billion humans primarily to connect. And if that isn't happening, we're feeling deeply unfulfilled and unhappy. Mm. And not good. So, so these kind of blur our boundaries a bit, this kind of rigid egoic part of us that dissolves and keeps us disconnected. And our hearts begin to open more, which allows, you know, following deeper intimacy and connection with others. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, I've been thinking, um, as you've been talking, and I probably should have asked you this in the beginning, but how did you get into all this? No, great question. You know, um, it's been a fascination since 15. I mean, before I took psychedelics, I was like, what? You could take a compound and it changes your view of reality. So I was already kind of hooked. Um, and then at 18, I had a life-changing psychedelic experience. I was an atheist, um, very kind of reductionist kind of scientific approach. And I had this experience of uh, God, which I didn't think was possible. Like this voice came up my consciousness, started talking to me saying that we are love and we are eternal and we're all interconnected and love is the most important thing by a lot. Miles after that is learning and everything is still insignificant compared to these values. Just don't even worry about them. And the, the feeling was of this deep, deep, deep list and that this is like 110% real, the most real thing I ever experienced. And those few hours changed the course of my entire life. Like from what I study to the way I see myself in the world to what I read, completely, completely just completely different trajectory uh they they probably saved my life i was suicidal and depressed at the time Mm. and um through the next 20 years i went through a higher academia getting my bachelor's and master's and doctors all focusing on consciousness i hadn't come across a better method for transformation or something even close to as interesting 
you know, that's either healing or introspective and has uh, so much potential even for ideas and creativity to help us really problem solve some of the crises we have, that it seemed very worthy to devote my life to it, you know, several years ago to just go all in. And it's been magic since, you know, as we shared before, it's like with you and this podcast, it's just been this immense state of effortless flow mm. once I kind of release and render to this path. Mm. And that just, that's, you know, the signal that you're on the right path, isn't it? Like that you are divinely guided to where you should be in the right place in the right time. Totally. Absolutely. And it feels really good. It feels like staying in a state of more of like love. Mm. So it feels really great. Mm. And yeah. I can totally uh, feel that whilst I'm, I'm with you right now. Um, now, if people want to find out more and get in touch with you, where can they go? Yeah, my, my website's psychedelicevolution.org. You know, I have a Facebook account people can follow, recently gone on Instagram. And the book's out on all platforms. You know, it's a um, psilocybin connection and it's out as an audiobook too across all the platforms also including audible and we have an incredible narrator you know so i've also been on maybe like 30 something podcasts this year so if you go to my website there's like such a long list of talks mm-hmm. it really kind of expands a lot of topics amazing um yeah. now last big question for you what's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life you know this is obviously this gives me more hope than anything else and you know, change and growth is a slow process. And I'm really glad this method of transformation really accelerates it by a lot. Um, left without it, you know, whether we look at different kind of transformative methods, whether it's meditation or even community work or prayer or just reading and thinking ideas through, they're very slow, just therapy. And we've had access to so many of these things for a long, long time. And this change has been somewhat minimal, important, but minimal. And we see when psychedelics entered in the 1960s to mass culture, there's massive revolutions, social revolutions for women's, for African-Americans, uh, against war, inspiration and creativity across all the fields. You, you know, you see breakthroughs through science. People have won Nobel Prizes given their attribute, their, their creativity to psychedelics. The com- there's a lot of uh, research that shows the computer revolution came from psychedelic experiences. You see it in all the arts and music and movies across all the fields. And that's because we had a small window where people were really using these things and because the legality went away. So once it comes back and because the science does not show how effective it is for therapy, I think it's very realistically that every city is going to have at least two therapy centers, psychedelic therapy centers, because there's nothing that is that effective. Like a lot of therapists during are just working really hard to try to get trained. So, so I think there's a potential for massive change culturally in the next five years and continuing 20 years from now it's going to be accelerated a far more process so unless people have the actual experience of these things like deep deep love and connection then it just remains theoretical and people don't embody it Mm. once people see like oh my god you could feel this way and this level of care for everything then i think things can change pretty dramatically and quickly yeah wow what a world um i'm looking forward to it and you know there's something there you've tapped into and it just made me think, you know, I've I've noticed a lot recently in the last year that when we open up other parts of our brain, the change and creativity we can bring to the world, um, when we just give ourselves space to do that, and and that's exactly what this does, and that's what you're talking about there, you know, like, you know, like let's look at some of the big, you know, um, artists in history, um, you know, 
no doubt that was the impetus of some of the greatest songs that we've had in our, in our history, you know. Um, it's it's all part of um, opening up those other parts of our brain and our consciousness that, you know, allow us to f- let that flow through us. You know, well said, you know, even looking at the neuroscience to kind of describe what you shared, what we found down in psychedelics quite what's called the default mode network. It's this network in the brain that scientists categorize as the ego sense of self. So when you think me, 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 I, 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 this specific kind of neuronal network lights up. And it turns out when that quiets, it allows the larger symphony of the brain to kind of come up in the line. So the whole brain begins to interconnect. Mm. So this kind of, you could say, identity and, and kind of regular way of being acts as a repressive function for the rest of creativity. And when we kind of get out of the way, there's a plethora of just a large amount of creativity that just arises. You know, that whether it's sensations, whether it's archetypal images, whether it's intuitive insights, you know, the, the, your, perspe- your perspective perspective on possibilities of how to live really in large you mm. know and and it's really tied to all the big spiritual traditions or like well if the ego quiets down so much more is available and not that the ego is bad it's just we're kind of habitually stuck in that state mm. oh wow i could talk to you about this all day um <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of the ethical evolution i have loved yeah. every single minute thank you same here it's very mutual i've really enjoyed this also thank you Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid.